We're going to be in 1 John chapter 4. And a lot of what we're talking about today is tied into uh, Rick and Ramona's presentation. It goes right along with it. Um, and this idea of 1 John chapter 4... Last week, we talked about verses 1 through 6, in which we talked about the testing of the spirits, not to believe every spirit. And one of the things that we discovered through our study of scriptures, that one of the evidences of the Holy Spirit being in your life is just the absolute confidence that His Word is true and that Jesus Christ is the way to salvation. And that because of his word, knowing that it's true, you have the ability to recognize false teaching or, or false doctrine. And so that's a great proof of God in your life. Today, uh, the proof of, of God in your life is, is going to be the idea of love. But not just love, because this is a subject that gets a little... Uh, tainted a little bit. We talked about it in Sunday school today that when we talk about love, what part of your body do you immediately associate with love? And it's your heart. In fact, the Bible says love the Lord your God with all of your heart. But Jeremiah 17, 9 says what about the heart? It's deceitful and wicked above all things. Desperately wicked, it says. Who can know it? And let me just ask you this very simple question. Have, have many people in the world made poor decisions based on feelings of the heart? Yeah. You make emotional decisions. Um, and that you know are wrong, but your heart is, you know, and, and um, we all know that, that the movies and the television shows, they try to define what love is and, and this is true love and true love is this and and don't let your parents tell you no and if they just because he's not a christian if you love him marry him anyway well that's not what the bible says it's not what it teaches and so when we're talking about true love today we're going to get the definition from the scriptures all right and so let's look at verse 7 of first john 4 beloved let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. So what we're taught in this verse, that the next evidence of God in your life will be a change in your character to be a person of love. Um, but I want you to go to first, uh, Second Peter. I'm sorry, chapter one. It's just a couple of books to your left. Or maybe the next one to your left. Second Peter, chapter one. And we looked at these verses in the past. They are kind of the the measurement of growth of a Christian in verse five of Second Peter one. It says, "For this very reason." Giving all diligence, add to your faith 
virtue. Had a great discussion on faith this morning in Sunday school class. And so the foundation of your Christian life starts with faith. By faith are you saved through grace. All right, it's a gift of God, not of works. So you're given this gift of faith, and you lay a foundation of your life, which is Jesus Christ. No other foundation can be laid. So that faith is in Christ. And what do you add to your faith? You add to your faith virtue, the desire to do right. To that virtue, knowledge. To knowledge, self-control. To self-control, perseverance. To perseverance, godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So when God gives this kind of measurement of your spiritual growth, that you start with faith, and the pinnacle of your growth is what? Love. Old King James says charity. And there's an interesting thing because... Before you get to love, you have what's called brotherly kindness. And I will tell you that brotherly kindness is a pretty common personality trait of most Christians that I know. Because we're supposed to be kind to our enemies. Right? No. You're supposed to love your enemies. We are kind to our enemies. What's the difference? You can be kind to somebody you don't love. You can just be nice to that person and then hate every second of it. If I have to. Remember when you were little kids and your parents used to tell you to apologize to your siblings? Tell your sister you're sorry and you would go to her and say what? Sorry! You're doing it because you have to, not because you want to. And so there is this idea of brotherly kindness. It's, it's a um, Greek word that is uh, phileo. It's where we get the word Philadelphia from. Philadelphia, you know what the nickname of Philadelphia is? The city of brotherly love. It's, it's love you like a brother. The word love is agape, which is total charity. It is giving all of your love with expecting nothing back. That you love because it is God. It is, it is the only kind of love that that is connected to God. It is a selfless, unconditional love of God's creation and of God's people. It cannot be accomplished without the Holy Spirit. And it cannot be accomplished without God. It is Him loving in you. It's nothing you can go out and do a 10-step program to get to that point. But when you draw close to God, you will become a person of love. It's difficult. It's the peak. And I don't think any of us here have reached the peak of our Christian faith, so to speak. But that's what the evidence is. You know that God really is working in you when you look at people not according to the flesh, but according to how God sees them. Let's go back to 1 John 4. 
And he says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. Everyone who loves is born of God. If if you have this agape love to where it's never about you, and it's self-sacrificial love, that is of God. It is not a natural human nature trait. We can be kind to one another. We're taught manners when we're little to say please and say thank you and, and be polite. But one of the things that love really magnifies itself with is this desire for people to know Jesus Christ. This desire for people not to go to hell, but for them to go to heaven. To see people as lost, walking in darkness, and needing a Savior. That's when this love really is manifested. Well, let's look at verse 8. He who does not love does not know God. Well, that's a hard statement. Because I don't know about you, I'm certainly not a person that is 100% solid in my love for each and every human being. It's tough. I'm not God. Because what's it say at the end of verse 8? God is love. God is literally love. Love is literally God. It cannot be separated. Which is why, ladies, someone who's not a Christian cannot really love you properly. They can brotherly phileo kindness, which means uh, have great affection for you. But the love of God is completely different from anything man can ever kind of manifest in any romantic novel they would ever write. It doesn't exist. God is love and love is God. They cannot be separated. Turn, if you will, to John chapter 21. In John chapter 21, Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. And he is, the Bible says he walked on earth for 40 days after his resurrection, before he ascended into heaven. And in John 21, he is having a personal, private conversation with Peter. The reason why this is important is because Peter is still reeling from the fact that he what? He denied Jesus Christ three times. And his denial was a result of his pride in which he proclaimed to Jesus Christ that no one would ever come. As long as he was there, no one would ever come and take his Savior. Jesus looked at him and said, Get behind me, Satan. This is God's plan for me. And he says, Besides, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And so now they have this conversation That's a little bit uncomfortable. And look at verse 15 of John 21. 
So they had eaten breakfast, and Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah. It's interesting because the word Peter means rock. The word Simon means small pebble kind of thing. And so whenever Jesus is addressing Simon to to test him a little bit, he uses the phrase Simon and not the word Peter. So he says, Simon of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And there's what the these are. It could be the food. It could be the other disciples. But he's basically asking Simon if he loves him more than, than anything. Oh, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. So he says to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon of Jonah, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He says to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Quite an interaction between Jesus and Peter on this issue of love. Jesus asks him three times, do you love me? Peter responds three times, you know I love you. And he says, if you love me, feed my sheep, tend to my lambs. But there's something more to this back and forth than meets the eye. The word love in these verses are different in the Greek. In verse 15, Jesus asks Simon, Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me unconditionally, self-sacrificially, charitable? Do you agape me? Peter says to him, you know that I phileo you. He doesn't use the word agape. So they're not even using the same word. Jesus says, do you unconditionally, charitably love me? He says, Jesus, you know that I have great affection for you. So what would, what would hold Peter back from saying that he agapes Jesus? He's failed him, hasn't he? I'm sure that's in his mind. If I asked you, do you love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind, your answer honestly would probably be, I, I want to. I really want to. But I'm pretty selfish sometimes, aren't we? So he asked him a second time. He says to him in verse... 16, Simon, son of Jonah, do you agape me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know I phileo you. I really have great affection for you. I know each and every one of you here, well, I don't know that, but I'm assuming each and every one of you here has great affection for God. I don't know that you're all Christians. Does that make sense? But I would probably say that all of you think about God in a positive way. I don't know that you have taken up your cross and followed him 
and leaving all things behind, you're following Christ and he's become the preeminent being in your life and you seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness and nothing is as important to you as Jesus Christ because he is the foundation of everything you do because you agape him. And until you agape him, I don't think you'll ever really know him. And until you agape Christ, I don't know that you can agape anybody else. Does that make sense? I think we're all pretty affectionate to, to God and to Jesus. And we maybe even say our prayers at night. But is Jesus everything? Everything. And I try not to criticize that. Because I don't think it's possible for you to actually agape Christ until you understand how much Christ agapes you. When you understand that, oh boy. So let me give you some encouragement. So he says to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you phileo me? Jesus changes the Greek. Jesus changes his tone. Because he knows that right now Peter's having a hard time understanding the realm of agape. He says, well, I'm not going to go that far because I don't want to get in a mess I got into before when I claimed that nothing would ever stop me, God. I'll, nobody's going to take you. And then I denied you three times. I think his faith is struggling right now, don't you? And guess what? So would I. Let me ask you this question. Would you die for your faith? I want to caution you not to answer that. I want you to think about it. Would you die for your faith in Jesus Christ? My answer is very simple. I hope so. But here's the problem. I am chicken. I fear things. So I can't say to God like Peter did, nothing, there's no way. What I would rely on is for Jesus to do the same thing for me he did for Stephen. If I could see Jesus right there in front of me while they were ready to behead me, I could do it. Only in the strength of Christ. But I do know I want to be the person who would. Amen? And so did Peter. Because Jesus says to him in verse 18, Most assuredly I say to you, when you were younger you girded yourself and walked where you wished, and when you were old you stretched out your hands, and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. He says, somebody's going to carry you where you don't wish to go. This he spoke signifying by what death he would glorify God. Larry said in Sunday school this morning, very eloquently, that our goal, our purpose in life is to glorify God. So if you don't know what God's will is for your life, it's very simple. God's purpose for you is to what? Glorify God. And Peter glorified God when uh, history teaches that he died on a cross that was turned upside down because he did not feel worthy to die in the same manner as Jesus Christ. Well, how did that happen? Where did that strength come from? 
Well, something happened to Peter in Acts chapter 2 that hasn't happened to him in John chapter 21. Does anybody know what it is? The Holy Spirit came down and filled him. And all of a sudden, that boldness that he wanted to have when he denied him three times, he was able to have through the Holy Spirit of God. And one of the things we see, I think, is in Acts chapter 4. He's beaten for his faith. And he rejoices. Can you imagine living with this sense of failure that I denied him three times, I couldn't even stand up, and two of those three times it was a little girl that came and talked to him about it. And he denied him. And then he's able to stand there and boldly speak the word of God before this crowd that wants nothing to do with him and proclaim that they have crucified Christ and they beat him and they throw him out. And you can imagine, I know what I would do. I would go, I did it. I didn't cower. I didn't, I didn't cry like a baby. Because that's what I would expect myself to do in the flesh. And now Peter left feeling like he could do anything. He truly had agape. He truly knew that he was no longer just affectionate towards Christ. But he loved him so much that he was willing to die for him. Because he understood what Christ had done for him. God is love. Love is God. Peter had great affection for God, but was incapable of agape until the Spirit of God strengthened him to be agape. Does that make sense? So let's go back to 1 John. Looking at verse 9 and 10 of 1 John 4. In this, the love of God was manifested. So if we really want to understand love, God says this is how you understand love. That God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. On your paper, I have John 3.16 where it says, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But verse 17 is important. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus didn't come down to pronounce judgment. We're already judged. We're already guilty. But God sent his son. It is the pinnacle of an example of love. Romans 5, 8 and 9 says, God demonstrates his love towards us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more, having now been justified by his blood, will be saved from wrath through him. God's ultimate act of love was to die for the sins of the very people who turned against him. And as on the cross, he pronounced to the world, Father, forgive them. Why? When they know not what they do, that's agape. To love the ones who are hammering the nails. To love the ones who are spitting on him. We live in a very angry age. People are angry all the time. 
and this is going to be an angry year. We see it every day. Through the debates, whether it's it's we're mad at this or that. Did you hear what so and so said? Did you hear what they said about this? Did you hear what they said now? Did you hear what they said? And they and, and the people are they have no idea what they're doing. Do we have the ability as the body of Christ to forgive? Will you be able to pray? Walk with me on this. Will you be able to pray for a gay president? Because it might be coming. And that's going to challenge your love, isn't it? It's going to challenge your love because you may have been vilely attacked for the last four years and you're going to feel like it is now your right to turn that around and vilely attack the other side. It's not Agape. It's not. So what is agape? We'll turn if you will. Well, let's look at verse 10 before we go. In this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us. Loving God? What's not to love about God? How could you not love God? Take a breath. Thank you, God. You wouldn't have it. Alright, you have some fruit today? Came right out of the ground. How's that happen? I don't know how God does it. God is, in, there's nothing not to love in God. But God loved me long before I ever loved Him. And there's a lot not to love about this guy. And God loved me the whole time. And I'm going, okay, well... I know you sent your son. I know you got beat. I know you got spit on. I know you got nailed to the cross. But let me think about it. Let me think about whether I want to do this church thing. Who are we? How arrogant can you get? Jesus says, I wish you were cold or hot. Because you're neither cold or hot, but you're lukewarm. I just want to what? makes me sick. I want to vomit you out of my mouth. How can I send my only son to die on the cross for you? And by the way, he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That word propitiation means that he paid every single atoning uh, price that was due to save your soul. This is why you cannot be saved by works. If, if we are add to a work uh, to salvation then we are saying what Christ did was not enough. But it takes something from me too. No, that's not what propitiation means. Propitiation means it is a gift. It's been paid for fully by Christ because He loves you so much. Even when we don't even care about Him, He still died for us. While we were still sinners. Turn to 1 Corinthians 13. And we're almost done. I'm having a problem with this message. And here's the problem I'm having with this message. I am incapable to eloquently present how great God's love is. I can't do it. There's just no way. It's always going to come out to be... And, and what has happened is Satan has very cleverly stolen the word love. Have you noticed that? And everything is... In fact... We are told that if you believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, that you don't have love for your fellow man. Did you know? 
that that's what Satan has done? The only ones who have love for their fellow man are those who do not wish them to go to hell. Wouldn't that be true? So let's look at what God says. 1 Corinthians 13 is the love chapter. Uh, and we're not going to go into it. It's, it's pretty basic. The chapter just simply, we'll say verse 1. Though I speak with tongues of men and angels and have not love, I become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And every reference of love in this chapter is the word agape. In fact, if you have an old King James, it'll say charity. It won't say the word love. And I like that because they noticed in this word that it, it doesn't fit what we say love is. You know, man, I, I love my wife. I love my kids. I love French toast. And I love Jesus. Those are not all equal loves. All right? There's a different order. But look at verse number 5. Uh, verse number... Um, Eight, love never fails. Whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Look at verse 4. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. We're not going to focus on what love does not do. We're going to focus in verse 4. What are the two things that love does in that chapter? It suffers long. Let's look at this word long-suffering. It's all through Scripture. It's one of the fruit of the Spirit, isn't it? Here's what love, long-suffering means. It is a Greek word that is macrothumia. And the word macrothumia simply means it utterly refuses to retaliate. Utterly refuses to retaliate. The wages of sin is death, but the long-suffering... In fact, the Bible says that the reason that Jesus is hasn't returned yet is it says he's not slack concerning his promises, but is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. Every day that Christ waits... I, I saw this thing again, and I want you to be careful of this, if you would. But uh, Somebody was talking about the coronavirus and they said oh lord come quickly i know the bible says lord come quickly but if i was to say god my life isn't great please come rescue me from this horrible earth i have to understand if the lord when the lord returns then who's ever going to get saved tomorrow doesn't get saved amen and so yes lord come i'm i'm ready but it's okay if he doesn't because someone's going to get saved today. It's Sunday. There's church services all across this country. And I guarantee you, someone... And what does the Bible say about when one soul comes to, to, to Christ? Angels rejoice in heaven. All right? And I guess I'll have to suffer with fellowship and pizza after church today. If, if that's what I have to go through in this life, it's going to be... It's not that bad. So long-suffering. How about you? How about you? Who are you mad at? Why are you mad at them? What did they do to you? What did they say to you? Well, you don't understand. They're hypocrites. Yeah, so all of us are. 
Do you understand? They're rude. Yeah, we're all rude too. All they think about is himself. Yeah, so do we. Long suffering. How long are you willing to suffer with those in this world in order to see them come to Christ? How long are you willing to suffer and to take it? What was Jesus willing to do? Wasn't he showing us exactly how to live? Slap me in the face, I'll turn the other cheek. Spit in me, God forgiven, they don't know what they're doing. Lord, forgive them as they hammer these nails into my hands. Father, forgive them. Because then it says love not only suffers long, but it's also kind. Now the word kind is a really interesting thing. The word kind is to retaliate with kindness. So, so long-suffering and kindness, is, is they're different. Long-suffering is I will not retaliate no matter what you do to me. Slap me. You want my coat? Here, take my shirt also. Take everything. I'm not going to retaliate. Well, Pastor Flanagan, you're just Christians need to stand up for themselves. And yeah, we do. Stand up for the faith. Stand up for the truth. But not retaliate. It's never what God called us to do. Agape, long-suffering love is to sacrifice everything, to not retaliate. And then the word kindness means to retaliate to evil with kindness. We see that where Luke 26, 27 says, I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who spitefully use you. That's pretty self-descriptive, isn't it? That is kindness. So let's do something else. Because this lesson is not about us. This love, agape, self-sacrificial, long-suffering love, is you are incapable of it. You cannot do it. I cannot do it because it's only of God. So, Pastor Flanagan, what do I got to do? If you will draw closer to God, then, then his perspective of life and others will begin to permeate your soul. So let's look at verse 4 again. And instead of saying love, we'll say God. Because isn't God love? God suffers long. Well, now that verse is good. Because if I'm supposed to not retaliate and suffer long, that's going to be difficult. But if I realize... This one gets hard for me. How many of you have ever felt... God's disappointment in you. Don't. Because God is long-suffering. Did you know that? He doesn't retaliate. How many times have you ever thought, oh, this is because I didn't go to church on Sunday. That's why the flat tire came. God doesn't retaliate. He'll try you. He'll test you. To build your faith. 
but your sins are washed away as far as the east is from the west. If you think he's still punishing for your sins, he is the propitiation for those sins. He paid everything on the cross. There's no more payment for your sins. He is long-suffering. You say, but I'm still sinning. He's got to be disappointed. Yeah, but he's not going to retaliate. God suffers long. God is kind. God does not envy. God does not parade itself. God does not behave rudely. God is amazing. Look at verse 8. God never fails. Look at verse 13. And now abide faith, hope, and love these three, but the greatest of these is God or love. We'll close with a more verse. 1 John 4. This is important. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us. See how that works? We're going to be talking a lot about abiding next week. But if we have love, unconditional, agape, long-suffering love, then you know that you are filled with the Spirit of God. Because we're not capable of doing that. So if you're trying to prove God that you can love, you're going to fail. Just what Peter did. I'll prove to you, God. It wasn't until the Holy Spirit came. His love has been perfected in us. So, the take from today is not for you to go out there and start loving people. The take for you today is to go out there and draw closer to God and He will draw closer to you. This love is only perfected in you when you are in your scriptures, reading the word, having a time of prayer, and obeying the words of God. And as you become more and more like Christ, Christ will, will, will change you. And you will begin to love the way he loves and see the world the way he sees it. But if you're not in your word, and then the love just becomes more of a kindness thing. Well, I'm supposed to be nice to my enemy. Okay, all right, Charlie. Oh, I'm not going to cuss you out this time because I'm supposed to be nice to you. Then you hang up the phone and you cuss them out to your wife. Not Charlie. Not snake in the grass. No, no, no. Oh, I hate being nice to that guy. That's not agape love. That's borderline brotherly kindness. But that's how we settle it in our Christian mind. Well, I'm, I, I should. I want to punch him in the nose, and I don't. I'm a pretty good Christian. Now, if you want to punch him in the nose, you are not filled with God's love. Just not. So get closer to God, and that will happen. So here's what we're going to do. Like I said, this is a tough one. I, I, I'm Because I can't fully, perfectly communicate it. It never comes out right. I've tried this 13 times this week. It just doesn't come out right ever. So here's what I really want you to know. as we, We're going to go to praise, and we're going to praise God because I wanted to end with just praising God because He loves you. He just loves you. And I don't want you going out thinking about yourself as a failure because you don't love the way God should love. You will begin to do that when you realize how much God loves you. Focus this week on the long-suffering, unconditional, never-ending love of God who died for you 
even when you didn't want anything to do with them. So how much more does he love you now that you want something to do with him, right? While I was a sinner, he died for me. So just think about his love for you. And that will motivate you to look at others the way God sees you. But if you see yourself as someone who deserves God's love, no wonder you don't love people. We are wretched. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a what? A wretch. And if you don't see yourself as undeserving of God's love, then you will be able to see others as not deserving of your love. Do you see? It's a little different. Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, your scriptures speak for themselves this morning. Father, the greatest act of love was you giving your only son. If there's anyone here who has never asked Jesus to be their Lord and Savior, it will be impossible for them to see the world through your eyes. It will be impossible for them to have the spirit of love permeate within them. So, Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, if anybody does not know Jesus, they will ask him to be their Savior today. For us who know you, help us to draw closer to you. But the closer we draw to you, Lord, the more your love will be present in our lives. And, Lord, as we come to praise you, let us praise you in spirit and in truth this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Man and cat, I encourage you to stand as we close with our praise time. Oh. 
Honor, 
to the Lord. When the power of darkness comes in like a flood, the battle belongs to the Lord. He's raised up a standard, the power of his blood. The battle belongs to the Lord. And we sing glory, honor, power and strength to the Lord. We sing glory, honor, power and strength to the Lord. When your enemy passes and hard, do not fear. The battle belongs to the Lord. Take courage, my friend, your redemption is near. The battle belongs to the Lord. And we sing glory, honor, power and strength to the Lord. We sing glory, honor, power and strength to the Lord. And we sing glory, honor, power and strength to the Lord. We sing glory, honor, power and strength to the Lord. Power and strength to the Lord. Power and strength to the Lord. Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks for He has given Jesus Christ His Son. Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks, for he has given Jesus Christ his Son. And now let the weak say, I am strong. Let the poor say, I am rich, because of what the Lord has done for us. Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks for He has given Jesus Christ His Son. Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks, for he has given Jesus Christ his Son. And now let the weak say, I am strong. Let the poor say, I am rich. Because of what the Lord has done for us. And now let the weak say, I am strong. Let the poor say, I am rich. Because of what the Lord has done for us. Give thanks. 
with a grateful heart, give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks, for He has given Jesus Christ, His Son. Give thanks. Heavenly Father, there's so much we are thankful to you for this morning, but Lord, um, nothing more than your sacrificial agape love you showed for us when you sent your son to die upon that cross for us, God. That, Lord, instead of retaliating a man's sin with wrath, you retaliated with love and kindness. And Heavenly Father, let us learn from this. Let us understand it, uh, comprehend it, that we might be able to, in, in the best way possible, show that same love towards our fellow man. Heavenly Father, increase us and encourage us and teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a great day.